What's up? What's happening? Welcome to Lacrosse Now. Travis Eldridge back with you again this week, and we have made it. College lacrosse season officially kicks off this weekend in the men's game. Exciting times. Make sure you stay to the end of the show because I'm going to give you my three games to watch this weekend. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the women's game. I'm going to run through my top 25 in the Inside Lacrosse Media Poll give you a thought about each team so that's coming up here as college lacrosse season is finally here it feels good that we finally made it back it's been a long off season a lot has happened but we'll get into it here uh we'll also get into it with a couple of great guests we've got madison ahern from notre dame on the women's side notre dame coming off a roller coaster 2022 season so we'll preview 2023 with madison who her alongside casey choma that they've been two of the stars for notre dame here for the last couple of seasons, not even just entering this year. So we'll catch up uh, with Madison. Also catch up with Hampton head coach Chaz Woodson. After entering his second full season competing with Hampton, last year was his first one after the team sat out 2021. The unique experience that he's learned about of coaching at an HBCU, obviously the unique experience for student-athletes there as well. And uh, he shares some MLL stories at the end. We get into a little bit of his playing career as well. So a great conversation with Chaz, a lengthy one. So hopefully you enjoy that. Um, but we're going to start off today's show with some news on the professional level, and that's at the uh, PBLA, the Professional Box Lacrosse Association, a, a league that, full disclosure, we have had a relationship with to stream uh, their games throughout the beginning part of this season, announcing here on Tuesday that the remainder of the season has been postponed. You know, it's it's a bummer. Obviously, it is really difficult, as, as anybody who has followed this sport knows. It's really, really difficult to start a professional league, especially when it comes to lacrosse. There's a lot that goes into it. But it is a bummer because of what we saw here in the first month playing-wise. Like, we saw some some talented guys get an opportunity to play box lacrosse. Maybe some guys who have had that experience at the NL level now getting another chance. Some guys who just haven't played a lot of box, getting the opportunity to learn. I mean, I I think this past weekend was the perfect example. We see Marcus Holman down in Charlotte go off for four goals in the one and only game he played in this league. You think of what could have been if the league could continue to, to develop. Uh, but for the moment, the remainder of the season postponed. Uh, they haven't completely punted on this year and haven't completely punted on bringing this league back at some point. But for the moment, uh, no games. And if I'm a coach GM in the NLL. I, I look back at some of the game film. We've got full games up on YouTube from our, our games of the week in the beginning part of the season. There are some guys that got that have talent in the box game. Obviously, the rules are a little different in what the PBLA was trying to do, but I'd be interested to see if maybe any of these guys find their way into an NLL roster as we head to the second half of the NLL season. But uh, a bummer is the PBLA announces here on Tuesday that the remainder of the season at the moment is postponed on the brighter side of things let's talk about college lacrosse because it returns on the men's side this weekend for the women's game we got to wait another week but the first inside lacrosse media poll uh, for the preseason of the women's side announced earlier this week i am once again a voter and as i did last week on the men's side i'm going to run you through my top 25 it's 25 teams on the women's side of things i'm going to run you through my top 25 Give you one thing about each one of these programs that I've ranked, whether it's a question mark, a player, uh, a theme for the year, something that uh, is as of note for each one of these teams. Let's start 
with North Carolina. Obviously, the undefeated defending champs, unlike Maryland on the other on the men's side, I think they have enough back in order to be the number one ranked team in the country in the preseason. Coming off an all-time great season, and they do, like, despite the fact they've got a bunch of talent back, they do lose a ton, including Jamie Ortega, who is one of the best players ever to play uh, for North Carolina with what she did on the offensive end uh, throughout her career. Now the question is, some of this young talent, especially a player like Caitlin Wurzberger, how does that group now make their own mark on the program? So that is what we'll be watching the beginning part of the season for North Carolina under head coach Jenny Levy. At number two, I've got Maryland. You know, it almost felt last year like the Terps had to reprove themselves after the Big Ten only season a couple of years ago. Obviously, it was unique because of COVID. But Maryland proved that they are back if they needed to prove. But they proved that, hey, we're here still last year. They add in Marge Donovan, a Princeton transfer. That, I believe, is huge entering this year. Three of their top four scores are back. So, obviously... Uh, you've got some things to replace offensively, but Libby May, Hannah Lubacker, both back. I think that's a, a big thing for the Terps. I've got them contending with Carolina, at least in the beginning part of the season. Number three, no surprise here, Boston College. The question now, no Charlotte North. She's moved on. Is this Bell Smith's time? I, I think she could be a towards-time candidate this year. She is a tremendous athlete in the middle of the field, could do a little bit of everything. Um they have a ton back when you go up and down this roster. So obviously no Charlotte, but you got Bell Smith. Uh, Rachel Hall is back in gold. Jen Medjid is back on offense. Holly Schleicher is an All-American defender. Mallory Hasselbeck, former number one overall recruit. She's now a sophomore. They've got talent all over the place. Their recruiting classes have been great. Boston College not going anywhere, despite the fact that Charlotte North has graduated. At number four, let's go to a, a new CAA team, Stony Brook. I've got them. Higher here in my poll than they ended up in the preseason uh, poll for uh, the media poll from inside lacrosse. I think Ellie Macera is terrific. She's getting towards on recognition and hype, and it's deservedly so. Talked to Joe Spelina a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast about her when we had him on. Talked about her ability to attack in so many different ways is what makes her stand out. Maybe even amongst some of the greats who have played at Stony Brook over the last several years, really liked her versatility and, and makes her different. So uh, I, I think that's important. And I just, this Stony Brook team, they've been knocking on the door. Could this be the year they finally break through? Uh, some of it's going to have to do with seeding. But at the end of the day, you're going to make championship weekend. You're going to have to beat somebody really good. They've been really close in that quarterfinal round as this year, the year they finally break through. We will wait and see. Uh, another really talented team. I have it five Northwestern. Obviously, the much-anticipated return of Izzy Skane. It's a team that bring back, brings back a bunch from a Final Four run again last year. Obviously, how you bounce back from that game against Carolina where you had him in the semifinals. You felt like th that was it. They're going to knock him off in and, and North Carolina with an all-time great comeback. With Northwestern and Izzy Skane having missed all of last year with the injury, I wonder if there's maybe some of the Penn State effects that we saw a couple of years ago when Granny Ment missed this one season uh, due to injury, uh, different players around the offense had to fill different roles. Then Grené Met comes back, and then everybody collectively was better because of the experience of having to do some different things that maybe they were uncomfortable with before. I wonder if maybe that effect could, um, could make Northwestern even better on offense. Skane will be working with Ellie Hansen, Aaron Coy-Kendall. 
I, I, that hand offense is going to be a handful. And, you know, Izzy Skane, I mean, she could score a hundred goals this year. That that's not out of the realm of possibility. She is terrific. Uh, at number six, I got Cuse Syracuse bringing back Megan Tyrell. She's the preseason player of the year, according to USA lacrosse magazine. Uh, the question for them, can they stay healthy? And can they get better playing the goal? That was the question mark at times. They obviously got crushed by North Carolina in the quarter or by Northwestern in the quarterfinals last year. Goalie play and staying healthy keys for the Orange under uh, Kayla Trainer. At number seven, how about Florida? Emma Lapinto was the best freshman scorer in the country last year. How does she take the step forward as a sophomore? Also, I mean Sarah Resnick back in goal. You bring her back. She could steep. She has stolen games for Florida in the past with her ability. So I'll be interested to see what having her back again does for this Florida team as they continue to get uh, more veteran on the other end of the field after being really young a season ago. At number eight, new conference uh, for James Madison. Same expectations. They've dominated the CAA for years now. Now it's going to be really fun to watch them and Florida duel it out in the American Athletic Conference. Don't forget about Bandy there. They had a breakout uh, beginning part of this past season as well. So it uh, should be a, a competitive conference. Going to be interested to see how James Madison adjusts to the new league. At number nine, Stanford. I'm higher on Stanford uh, than some of the other voters in this poll. I've got them in my top ten. Ashley Humphrey is a name to remember. Could be an absolute superstar. She put up huge numbers last year. Terrific distributor of the ball. Keep an eye on that name moving forward. At number 10, at Notre Dame, we're going to talk to Madison or her in here in a bit. Her and Casey Choma have has felt like have kind of been the faces of this program now for a while. Both are back. They lost a bunch of close games at the different times last year. Obviously played uh, some of their best lacrosse at the end of last season, looking to build on that momentum. I, I think they win some of those close games this time around after that experience. At 11, let's go to Duke. Maddie Jenner obviously gives them an immediate advantage at the draw circle, no matter who they're playing. Also love Katie DeSimone um, jumping even more into that starting role as Kat Berry has moved on. Let's go to 12 for the Big Ten Rutgers. I mean, what a turnaround from seven and nine in that funky 2021 season to 16 and five a year ago. Big jump for the program. They've got some top scorers gone, so that's why I don't have them in my top 10. But looking to build on the momentum, they beat Northwestern in the Big Ten tourney last year. That was a, a big statement for this program. Let's go to 13, Denver. They got to replace. Uh, B. Barons on offense, but they bring back some key players. Sam Thacker uh, on the other end of the field. They may play some more low-scoring games again at times this year, but they are a team to be reckoned with. 14, Virginia. They've got uh, Ashlyn McGovern, Aubrey Williams, both back. And you know what? I love the addition of Allie Kennedy as an assistant coach here for Julie Meyer's staff. It brings, obviously, terrific um playing experience and i think she's a a person that a lot of players on that team are going to look up to so i think that's a great addition let's go to 15 princeton and this starts a run of a bunch of teams here are kind of entering new eras uh it's obviously chris sailor is gone so it's the jen cook era she obviously not a lot changed with the staff despite the fact that sailor leaves because jen cook has been a familiar face here for the tigers and there's still the preseason pick in the ivy just going to be interesting to see how this program evolves now with the legendary coach having retired. 
Uh, let's go to 16. USC, they returned four of their top five scores from an NCAA tourney team a year ago, another team that will be expected to be competing at the top of the Pac-12 along with the likes of Stanford. 17, Michigan, they've got some big holes to fill with the losses of Caitlin Muir and Caitlin Mead. But I've got some faith in this Hannah Nielsen program that they will reload and try to be back in that conversation in the Big Ten. 18, speaking of teams that lost a lot, I mean, Liffy Rosenzweig has been an absolute star for years. One of the best players in the country has been a featured star at Loyola. She's gone. So now who steps up for the house? That'll be my big uh, question mark that I'll be looking for Loyola to answer in the beginning part of this season. 19, let's go to Richmond. They shocked some, uh, they were shocked by St. Joe's in the semifinals. The Atlantic 10 tournament last year had a chance to do that game. Uh, I really liked this Richmond team, but St. Joe's came ready to play and, and took it to them, ended their run. And I think that gives this Richmond team, the Spiders, a little chip on their shoulder, shoulder entering 2023. Got talented returners in Lindsey Frank and Arden Tierney. Number 20, Hopkins, uh, another team who's got a new coach and a new era that's beginning. Janine Tucker is obviously a, a legend that she moves on as she retires. But I love the hire of former Arizona State coach Tim McCormick. He uh, did amazing things in a short time with the Sun Devils program, a, a new program that he inherited. And he knows the Big Ten with his experience being an assistant coach at Northwestern. So look out for Hopkins. Uh, maybe not this year. But I think Tim McCormick's going to continue to do special things with the program that obviously has already had some success. Let's go outside the top 20 now, our, our final five, 21. I've got Yale. Big step uh, for Yale last year. Second best team entering the Ivy League, I think, here in the, the preseason behind only Princeton. And they proved last year that outside of Princeton, they can, they can beat just about anybody in that league. And that was a big step forward, knocking off the likes of Cornell and Penn, who have traditionally been competing toward the top of the league. I look for Yale to follow it up here this season. Number 22, another uh, new coach as Tara Singleton uh, takes over as head coach at Jacksonville. Minnie McCord um, did great things there in the quote-unquote lacrosse capital of Florida, as they like to call it down there in Jacksonville. Uh, we'll see what Tara Singleton now does, looking to build on, on what has been established there. Number 23, let's go to Navy. Army, of course, shocked the mids during the regular season. Black Knights knocking off Navy for the first time in program history on the women's side. Navy got redemption in the Patriot League semis. They've got that beautiful new proposed lacrosse facility there at Navy. If you haven't seen the videos, go check it out on social media. It is beautiful. Uh, I, I like Cindy Timshaw and Navy to, uh, to be right there in the mix in the Patriot League again this year. And I think maybe more open than it's been here in, in the last couple of years because of the fact that Loyola has lost a bunch. At number 24, UMass, another new coach, Jana Drummond taking over for Angela McMahon-Serpone. A-10 is, comp is as competitive as ever. Remember, UMass had dominated the league for seven, eight, nine years. Richmond had their run with a couple in a row. St. Joe's last year, shocking everybody. They won the, the tournament title. So between Richmond, St. Joe's, UMass don't sleep on a, a talented Duquesne team that had a bunch of, bunch of youth last year and competed in the A-10 tournament. So um, that's going to be a conference that I, I'll be interested to watch throughout the year unfold. And then number 25, I got Colorado out of the Pac-12. Obviously a disappointing loss last year to Oregon in the first round of the Pac-12 tourney. 
my question will be, where do they rank in a, a Pac-12 that I know what I said about Stanford being up toward the top, but really you look at the Pac-12 conference in the last couple of years, a lot of parity and they compete really hard against each other. We've seen surprises in conference play. I'll be very interested to see how things shake out as we start to get into conference play in the Pac-12. So there you have it, my preseason top 25 teams. One thought on all 25 teams that I ranked uh, in the preseason poll. If you want to check out how mine compare with the Inside Lacrosse uh, preseason media poll, you can head to InsideLacrosse.com right now. But as for now, I think you should stay put with our uh, show because we're going to be joined by Madison uh, Hearn from Notre Dame, catching up with Madison as we get ready for the 2023 season. So as we continue to get ready for the 2023 season, we've got Notre Dame player Madison Ahern joining us now. Uh, Madison, let, let's just start here. Like coming out of the fall, you were talking now as you get ready to go back to Notre Dame. Uh, where does the team feel like it's at as you enter this spring? Yeah, so uh, last year we didn't have um, kind of the outcome that we expected um, losing in the first round of the tournament. Um, we were kind of, our backs were against the wall at the end of the season, had some must-win games. Um, and I think it kind of shocked us a little bit. We had um, some great games earlier in the season, lost by one or two. Um, and, I mean, the season didn't end how we wanted it to, but there were definitely some bright moments there. Um, we played really well against some of the best teams in the country. So I think that's really exciting um, coming back. And we're we're losing a lot of talent, but um, we're also bringing back a lot. So um, I think to combine like the experience returning and some new faces this year um, is really exciting. Um, specifically, uh, goalie Lily Callahan will be um, suiting up um, in place of Bridget Dean, All-American goalie who I've played with for three years, who is unbelievable. But um, Lily was kind of an arch rival in high school. We would always um, battle attacker and goalie. Um, so uh, I'm really excited to see her get her chance um, after waiting and kind of learning from Bridget. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, always good when you've got somebody ready to step in uh, some big shoes to fill there uh, in, in goal. You mentioned last season, like I, I remember looking at it and like I vote in the the poll every week for inside the cross the media poll and I remember looking at what you guys are doing and like I kept you in the top 20 despite the fact you're one in four because you're losing to good teams and you're you're in every one of those games I have to imagine that has to be so frustrating as a team but now like when you look back on it what can you guys learn and take away from that that hopefully you apply and like kind of have different results this this year yeah I mean I think we're definitely battle tested and like I said, we have a lot of um, a lot of returners that have kind of gone through that last year. Um, so I think all we can do is just come out stronger this year and um, really focus in those tight game situations and make sure that um, we have a win in our column this year. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's probably good for us. We we learned a lot and um, looking forward to kind of flipping that script this year. You know, you uh, you go to Notre Dame to play against the best, and clearly when you're in the ACC, you're playing against some of the best teams in the country week in and week out. We, we saw how many teams are going to the NCAA tournament every year. Now that you've experienced a couple of years, like how do you best describe what it's like competing in that league? I mean, it's, it's clearly the best league in the country. I think anyone that plays in the ACC or even is a fan of lacrosse knows that. Um, 
I mean, when we get into ACC play, I think everyone can kind of just feel the intensity um, dial up a notch. And um, it's just, it's a little more hard hitting. It's everyone's a little bit, has a little bit better stick work. Everyone's a sharper shooter. Um, the defense is a little more uh, tenacious. I think everything is just dialed a level up. Um, and also just knowing that it's a conference game um, kind of heightens the stakes a little bit for us too. What did how you guys played in the ACC tournament last year do for not all, I mean, obviously you don't didn't carry over into the NCAAs, but what did that experience do for you? Maybe with some of the returners coming back this year? Yeah, I mean, that was an unbelievable time for our team. I think um, going into our first round game against Duke, we had to win the game in order to um, have any hope of making the NCAA tournament, which hadn't been the case um, for me at all. That was my first time kind of going through that um, as a player at Notre Dame. So um, that like must win situation in a game where we had lost to the opponent before, um, it was really exciting. I think there were a lot of nerves going into it, but I mean, we just kind of shot out of a cannon and didn't look back against Duke um, and did a similar thing against UNC, although we came up a little bit short. Um, so I think just going into the season, trying to treat every game like those ACC games um, in the tournament is going to be really important for us. You know, I, I think every time I mention your name with Notre Dame, I have to also mention Casey Choma because the two of you were part of it, that USU-19 team, part of the same recruiting class coming in. You guys have obviously played with each other now for a couple of years. What's that relationship like uh, amongst two leaders uh, on this squad that have kind of come up through the ranks together? Yeah, so, I mean, we've kind of known each other since, I think, like, sixth grade. We played in some camps together and, like, the Brian All-America. Um, I played on Team Long Island with her. So um, we've known each other for a long time, and I, too, feel like we're always attached to the hip um, and then with sixes this past summer. Um, so it's awesome that we've kind of experienced the same things together and um, always pushing each other to get better is a, a huge thing for us, and that's really nice, I think, for both of us. You mentioned sixes. Uh, what did that experience teach you, both like the version of it and the experience representing Team USA at the World Games? Yeah, I mean, it was an unbelievable experience. I I love sixes. It's so much fun. Um, actually, after the, the World Games, I kind of was like, oh, I have to go back to the real game. <laughs> um, but it's super exciting. It's it's so fast. Um, it was really nice for me because I used to play midi in high school. So um, it was kind of cool to get back to my roots um, as a midfielder. Um, but it, it was unbelievable to represent the United States too. Um, just an amazing opportunity and kind of paving the way for all the younger girls um, that, you know, sixes is kind of the future of the game. So um, being able to kind of draft like the first view of sixes was really cool. I mean, nobody had ever played it before, so no one really knew the strategy or anything. So it was cool to build it from the ground up for sure. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is new, and especially you mentioned it like the strategy involved because we never really seen it played where there were real things on the line. Like you guys are competing for a gold medal this summer. What did you learn like about the game and some of the strategies that you take away? Yeah, I mean, we we toyed with not having somebody behind X. We had different subbing patterns. Subbing is super important um, on the fly. We, we figured that out. Um, having, like, the right man up team. Um, 
having the right man down team. Um, yeah, but the, the power plays were super fun. I got to be on the offensive one. So um, got to toy around with some of, you know, my competitors in college, um, got to work together with them. So it was really fun and um, definitely fun to get back to my midfielder um, position. <laughs> yeah. And I have to think it also just in terms of stick work, because you're dealing with like there's obviously space, but it's a, it's a tighter field. you got to be a little bit faster with some of your moves just because the speed of the game and the shot clock. I have to think it helps, right? Like, it, does it make you better? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, think of, like, a, a league that you're playing in in the summer or the winter and you're on a short field. It's a lot it's a lot harder to make your way around the field and you kind of have to tighten up your stick work and your dodging and be more precise. So I think that definitely helped. So uh, a little bit more about your backstory. You played at Notre Dame Academy in high school, and then you played, like, there, was there a question you were going to play at Notre Dame in college after you played at Notre Dame Academy in high school? <laughs> yeah, they actually have no affiliation, which um, is kind of surprising. But, I mean, I still wear some of my uh, Notre Dame Academy uh, gear around Notre Dame and it kind of passes off as the same. So that's definitely a plus. Um, <laughs> but they're they're not connected which is crazy. Yeah. Um, definitely a little confusing for everyone, but. <laughs> but same colors, same logo, like similar stuff? Uh, not the same logo, okay. but same colors. So, yeah. <laughs> now, it just works out well. Your wardrobe just can carry over yeah. uh, pretty well. <laughs> uh, looking back so far, and obviously you've got another year here and a, a chance to use another year of eligibility after this, but like so far in your college career, do you have a favorite moment so far at Notre Dame? Um. I would say it's probably tied between two games. Um, I would say my freshman year, it was our second game ever. Um, and we played against Northwestern in the uh, their field house. Um, and it was fully packed, uh, second game of college. Um, and we had like an absolute nail biter um, at the end of the game. And um, we ended up out on top. Um, and it was kind of my first like big win of college. And I just kind of knew that we had something special. And, you know, unfortunately, our our season got cut short. But um, that team was definitely something special. Um, and I think that was kind of our first glimpse at it before we went undefeated for our seven game stint. Um, and then I think my my second favorite was probably the Duke ACC game last year. I think everything just kind of like came together. Everything that we had been working on finally just gelled um, and it was a real team win. So definitely those two. And I got to ask you as an offensive player, do you have and this doesn't even have to be in college. Do you have a favorite goal that you've ever scored? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, let's see. I think, hmm. honestly, last year against Duke, there was, I think this is just because of the commentary <laughs> yeah. during it when I watched it back, but um, there, was, there was a goal. I, it was one of my goals during um, the Duke ACC game, and um, I kind of like snuck behind my defender on the restraining line, and um, MK Doherty got the draw, and she like threw it over everyone, everyone's head, and they kind of, were confused like they didn't realize that I was behind them um and I ran in and scored and the um the announcer said like Notre Dame pouring it on um so when I whenever I watch that I kind of get the chills um 
and just kind of want to replicate that moment. So I think it, a lot of it had to do with the uh, the announcing and, and our momentum at the time, but um, that might be my favorite. <laughs> all right. Yeah. It comes in a big game too. That all, yeah. all that, that all works. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll leave you here with this because uh, we had, we obviously have a, a common friend in Davey Emla who you've been uh, training with uh, down there in the South shore of Massachusetts for a while. What kind of trash talk is there around the Notre Dame, North Carolina games? Because he obviously is, is a Tar Heel through and through and you got Notre Dame. What's that like? Um, I mean, I think he always was pushing me in high school to maybe like make a switch <laughs> um, just because he's such a big uh, Tar Heel fan. But um, it, I think when, whenever we've played UNC, um, especially in South Bend, it's always been like a... Um, a tight game like one goal game um, usually bad weather um, <laughs> so it's very gritty and I think it's just two teams that match up really well against each other and kind of bring the best out of each other um, yeah so those are those games are always a lot of fun yeah no I mean it, every ACC game is fun but those have been uh, those have been special ones but hey I gotta ask you're a, from the south shore of Massachusetts like you, you live right by the beach how, how do you deal with being in the, the middle of the country for half the year? Honestly, it's kind of tough. I, uh, I really miss, miss the, uh, the ocean when I'm out in Indiana. Whenever I come home, I just keep driving by it <laughs> multiple times um, on my way home from my workouts in the mornings, to be honest. <laughs> um, I definitely miss seeing the ocean on my drives um, and the beach, but... Um, take what I can get in the winter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that, it, honestly, it's been one of my one hesitations. If I ever would move to the Midwest, it's like, I don't know if I want to be that far away from, yeah. uh, from a coast. Uh, well, enjoy it here for the last week or so you have before you go back to Notre Dame. Good luck as you get ready here for your senior season uh, with the Fighting Irish. Can't wait to see you guys back on the field. Thanks for the time, Madison. Thank you. We've got Hampton coach Chaz Woodson joining us now as we continue to get ready for this 2023 spring season. Uh, Chaz, we're excited to have you part of the CAA, have a chance to see you guys a couple of times here on Lacrosse TV this year. For you, new conference now, uh, second year uh, being part of a conference, what's that adjustment been like for you? Yeah, I think, first of all, uh, thanks, thanks for having me on here. Um, you know, for us, it's, it's not a, a major adjustment because we know where we stand in terms of, you know, the big picture landscape, right? Like we came in last year at the bottom of the pack and, and we're starting this year at the bottom of the pack. So uh, everything is about the challenge and about getting better and uh, just constantly trying to improve. So um, we're looking forward to the CAA schedule. We know it's a grind. We know every team is going to be good. Um, but I think last year playing in SoCon and playing against those Richmonds and High Point and Jacksonville and, um, you know, again, nothing against Mercer and VMI and we're going to play VMI again this year. Um, but those top three teams, I think that's what it's going to be week in and week out for us. So that was a good test last year uh, and good preparation. Uh, our guys were young. Uh, we're still kind of young, um, but at least they have a year under their belt. Uh, of understanding what that level of play looks like and feels like. Um, so it'll be tough, but we're looking forward to it. You mentioned another year uh, under the team's belt. This is kind of really your second full season after not having competed yep. in 2021. What did you take away from the first full run with this group and at this program? Well, uh, you know, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't trying to improve. And uh, I think I've been having a number of conversations 
not just last year, but through the summer and through the fall with other coaches and uh, trying to make sure that I'm in the best, uh, not just headspace, but but uh, in the best position to kind of help move the team forward. Um, having JT on staff and Kevin, um, you know, I'm glad I got those guys back this year. Uh, last year, we ended up getting JT um, two days before our first scrimmage. So we didn't have him the entirety of the fall last year. Uh, we didn't really have him much of the preseason. So this year has been a little bit different in that regard because he's been able to come in. He now has an understanding of what it looks like. Uh, you know, obviously he's a phenomenal player, but uh, as a coach, having gone through that last year um, and having the, the, the knowledge base and, um, you know, and, and uh, more of a true expectation of what it looks like both from a competition standpoint, but also from a preparation standpoint. And so um, that's helped us tremendously this fall. And, you know, I think it just puts us in, in, in a great place. I, I, you know, I feel better about where I am, but also more importantly, like I said, I feel like as a staff, we're in a better place. And, and as a team and a program, we're in a better place. You mentioned JT Giles Harris, and that's a huge uh, boost for any coaching staff, having a guy that yep. continues to compete at the highest level and uh, obviously had a terrific career at Duke. What is the impact of what kind of impact did you see when you brought him into the program amongst the team, knowing like, hey, this guy is a dude who's now, now we're watching him do it uh, all summer long, and we probably just watched him growing up, and, and now he's on our staff. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, there's a there's a few different levels to it. One is um, the recruiting impact, you know, like and now guys can look at our program and say, one, uh, we've hired somebody that that uh, that kind of shows how serious we are about doing the building this program. But two, that he's committed to being a part of this. Right. Like he could probably be anywhere in the country coaching, but he decided he made a choice that he wanted to be here. Um, and then obviously guys that are going to play for him, especially on the defensive side of the ball, um, are going to get developed by one of the best to ever do it. Um, but for our guys, uh, you know, it could have been really tricky because he's right around their age. Yeah. You know, uh, especially our older guys. In fact, a couple of them uh, were his age. Um but they all immediately had that that level of respect for who he was, who he is uh, as a player and what he had accomplished. Um, and our guys were hungry to learn. Um, so they they were able to navigate that space pretty quickly and pretty effectively, I think. And, and, and this year it's even better. Right. Because they now have an understanding of how he coaches, what he expects of them. Um, it, it's really been a phenomenal opportunity to. Um, well, not just for the guys, but for me, too, to work alongside him. Um, so I, I can't say enough about him. And then, of course, I don't want to short, um, you know, Kevin Mundy either, because uh, he's been a great uh, addition to our staff. He He's a graduate of the program. He understands the program. He understands the school very well. Um, and he understands the guys, you know, the older guys he played with, um, but he also knows what it's like to navigate Hampton University as a student and as a student athlete. Um, and that's been very helpful for the guys as well to be able to go to him. Uh, and then he's great with working with our goalies as well. Yeah, I have to think that for you as a head coach, that's such a good balance in your staff. You've got a guy who obviously knows this program inside and out, and then you got a, another guy who knows the top level. It's like such a good balance. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, I don't want to 
you know, jump, jump too far ahead, but I'm hoping that we're going to be able to add another one uh, next year. Don't know that that's certain yet, but I, I, I hope so. And, uh, and then, you know, if we can do that, we'll, we'll really be cooking. Speaking of JT, you take any runs at him, like maybe after practice before at all? No, you know, I, I, I know my limits. <laughs> I know, I know I'm, uh, there's part of me that would, would love to get out there with him and, and not really even just to, uh, to, 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 to boost my own ego or, or test him, but really just to get out there again. Um, I, I think it would be really cool to be able to go out there and, and take a couple runs with a guy that that's that good. Um, but the guys are always trying to get me to go out there. Last time I, I, I put on a helmet and went out there, uh, I took a shot to the ribs. So I'm done. And in fact, it seems like every time I go out there with the guys to try to do something, whether it's just running or I end up on the wrong side of the equation. So, uh, you know, I don't need to end up on the wrong side against JT. Yeah, no, that's fair. We don't, we don't need a hobble Chaz Woodson on the sidelines all year long. No, 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 no. You're getting old, man. This is tough. You have no idea, man. (laughs) (laughs) You have no idea. Um, all right. Some of the things that I've seen you post on Instagram with this program, I thought were really cool. And one of the things that stood out to me was December. You, you guys had some U.S. Marines come and, and help train. Walk me through what that was like. Yeah. So we've actually got a really phenomenal ROTC program at Hampton University, uh, both Army and Navy. Uh, and one of the gentlemen, Captain Becker, um, actually has a, a, a son who plays lacrosse in the area. And, um, you know, he came out and he wanted to, um, he wanted to work with some of the athletic programs just because it gives him an opportunity to, you know, really see how other people navigate dealing with 17, 18, 19 year olds and so forth. Um, and for us, it was just a phenomenal opportunity. I like, I, it was something I wanted to do already but hadn't really thought about going through the rotc program for it uh so when he came to us we said absolutely anything you want to do we're we're behind it um and it's it's developing into a really cool uh kind of partnership and working relationship uh so we were able to get those guys out uh in december right after thanksgiving to kind of close out uh the fall in fact um even before that we had we had them working with our seniors just from a leadership perspective and, and just, um, you know, helping our guys develop into young men who can lead their peers the right way. Um, but yeah, we had, we had a great time with them right after Thanksgiving, uh, early December out on the field for about an hour and a half. And, uh, the guys get to see what it's like to go through that program a little bit. Yeah, that's phenomenal and such a great experience. Um, and, and a unique one too, for the, the kids yeah. and everybody involved. That's awesome. So you enter here your second full year as, as a head coach. I wonder, because obviously you know, like, it's tough. You're building this program. You mentioned, like, it's at the bottom. Wins and losses sometimes can't be the ultimate judge of if you're going in the right direction. How, how sure. do you continue to gauge success within this program? Well, I, I think we've taken steps forward uh, by every every uh you know, measurable criteria, you know, from uh, our actual roster numbers to our budget, to our um, scholarships, to adding staff, to joining conference and moving into the CAA. Um, You know, there are a lot of ways to look at this. I think even last year, when we look at on the field, uh, the number of mistakes we made at the beginning versus the end, um, our clearing percentage got better 
at the end, uh, you know, versus where we were at the beginning. Like, there's a lot of things uh, that we can look at and say, okay, we're improving, and we made uh, we made great strides last year. Um, the, the the elephant in the room, and I'm not going to shy away from it, is that we got to put more points on the board. Um, that's just a, a reality of it. We we actually got significantly better defensively last year. Um, and I think, again, it's one of those things that didn't show because we didn't clear the ball well enough, right? And, and or we weren't scoring goals. So now our defense was playing entirely too much. Um, this year, I think that's better. We have better sticks all across the board from, you know, from one end all the way to the other. Um, so I'm hoping those type of things will translate. It's not easy to win games, regardless of the program, regardless of the Con, uh, the conference. Um, so we're well aware of that. And, and we, you know, we obviously want to win games. We want to um, score points, all that good stuff. Um, but we also know Rome wasn't built in a day and it, this isn't all going to happen overnight. Um, I think our schedule this year is set up for us to start to understand what success is. Um, you know, we've got some lower tier teams that we're playing um, that, that we feel pretty confident that we'll not only win the game, but we'll have a chance to execute so that we know what it feels like to execute things the right way. So as we move into the conference, you know, it's not brand new. Um, it's just a matter of now trying to execute consistently and execute at the highest level to give ourselves a fighting chance. You know, one of the things um, that's been in the news here a little bit uh, is the one of some people there at Morgan State, another HBCU, to try to add Division One men's lacrosse. I wonder, for you now at Hampton, knowing the tradition that you're trying to create there at an HBCU and, and building this program, I wonder what you see when you see another HBCU wanting to bring lacrosse back, obviously that one with some significant tradition. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, shout out to Sean Church uh, and that program over at Virginia State. It's a Division II program, and they're adding women's as well. Um, I, I think um, from what I hear, they're in a really good place. I think the school is supportive of it, uh, um, so I'm so happy to hear that's happening. Um, I would love for more Division One programs to pick it up, or more HBCUs in general, because I think there's so many young Black players playing now that would love to have both experiences, right? The experience of playing lacrosse at the collegiate level, whether it's division one, two or three, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but being able to play, but then also being able to have that HBCU experience, which um, for some people is truly the goal, right? Like that is something that if they can do it, they want to do it. Um, but I, I think there's something really special and unique about the opportunity to play lacrosse at an HBCU. And I think it's one of those things that for me, I would have uh, certainly tried to do if, if I could have, if there was a viable program at the time when I was coming out of high school. Um, I think the one thing that, you know, I would be concerned about and cautious about is that we, you, it has to be done the right way. And it has to start with the resources in place. Um, what you don't want to be doing is trying to play catch up. Um, or putting players out there in a, in a situation where they're not equipped, not necessarily physically, but just equipped to have as much success as they can possibly have. Um, you know, if, if programs are ready, if schools, universities are, are ready and ready to do it at the, uh, in the right way with the support and the structure in place, I think it's awesome, and I would love to see more of it. You mentioned the HBCU experience. Now that you've been on campus for a couple of years, what have you learned about that experience and how unique it is? It's different, man. 
it's very different. Um, and, and that's what I encourage all of our recruits, um, you know, come visit, just come see what it's all about. Cause some of it really can't be put into words. It's, it's it really is an experience and it's a feeling, um, you know, and, and it's a different experience than many of them, at least in the lacrosse community, just based on where lacrosse is played and the schools that it's played in. Um, it, it's a different experience than they've ever had. Uh, and, and a couple of things stand out to me uh, at Hampton. One is everybody is for you, right? Um, I went to Brown where, you know, I loved my experience there, but I can't say that everybody was for you. Here at Hampton, everybody wants you to succeed um and they're so genuine about that and they're and you can uh, you can tell because so many of them so many of the people on campus are graduates of the uh, of the university right so they bleed blue um they love it they they feel it um and like i said they want you to succeed um the other piece of it is i don't know anybody that's graduated from hampton university uh, and, and I knew some before, but certainly now that I'm in this position, I've met a lot more. I don't know anybody that's graduated from Hampton University. They cannot talk to you about their experience and why it's so valuable and how much they love it forever. They can talk and talk and talk and talk about it. And I don't know that that's the same everywhere you go. Um, you know, uh, I, in fact, I think there are, there are only a handful of schools probably out there where people will do that. They may love, you know, they love going to the games or they love the parties or they love their friend group, but there's not too many people that just talk about the university and, and why it was so valuable to them. Um, and then the other piece of it is, you know, one of the things I found from our guys is a lot of them have come in with different experiences, right? Some went to PWI, some were in public school, some were in predominantly black and brown environments, whatever the case. Um, but they've come to Hampton University and found that they fit in everywhere um, and that everybody is kind of different. I think a lot of people came in and thought, hey, everybody here is going to be just like me or on the other end of the spectrum, everybody's going to be completely different than what I've expect experienced. And what they found is there's at Hampton, there's so many different people from all over um, that bring different experiences to the table. And so it's very easy to fit in and find your niche and, um, and get this thing going, man. And, and, um, you know, I think everybody has been pretty happy with their experience and their choice so far. That's uh it's a really special environment. That's uh it's really cool to hear. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got a, this is a podcast now, so we can go long. So I want to ask some MLL <laughs> stuff. We, I want to ask some MLL stuff because you posted some highlight clips earlier this month, a couple of your favorites, uh, in yeah. terms of, of highlights, what do, do you have a favorite MLL goal from your career? Um, yeah, yeah, I have, a, I, yeah, I have a few, um, for different reasons. Okay. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, that, that feed that I posted the other day behind the back, I think that was one of my favorite plays that I made throughout uh, the course of my career. I just, I mean, cause it had to, everything about it had to be, perfect for it to work out. Um, the other thing about that, uh, if I remember correctly, I was cramping up that game. Uh, and, and so I actually, I was trying to push across the top and really I didn't have anything. So if you, if you watch it, I throw the pass and I kind of stopped and, um, 
and like I just kind of threw my hands up, but that's because I couldn't like go run over there and support him or anything. Like I was cramping head to toe. Um, so that was a pretty cool one for me. But uh, yes, in terms of the goals, man, I think they're my favorites weren't necessarily favorites because of how they played out or what happened while I was doing it. It's because when I go back and look at it, it's it's like, wow, that was that was kind of fun. <laughs> Uh, that looks cool. Um, so there's a couple of those. I think the one against, um, actually, I think it was that same post. Um, it, was, it was Long Island. It was toward the end of the season. Um, in my last year, 2017, both of those were from the last year. Uh, no, that actually, the, it, it wasn't. It was from Ohio, 2013. And I felt like I was kind of being pushed off to the side and and I thought that was sort of going to be the end of my career so I really liked that goal because it was like truly me and I felt like all right well you know I can still play this game and I can still play it the way I'm used to playing it uh and it was cool to be able to like show that because it wasn't my best year um and like I said I kind of felt like I was being pushed out so well, uh, yeah, you proved some people wrong for a couple more years then after that, and you kept you kept going. And I don't think you were alone in cramping up completely during the summers in in Florida. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was that was an interesting day. I, I spent the entire halftime. I was supposed to begin an IV, and every time they put it in, it was popping popping the vein. So I spent the entire halftime trying to get IV, got no IV. And then spend the rest of the game still cramping up. Oh, man. I, you know, it, it brings up like what I enjoy so much about talking about is, is time in Major League Lacrosse. And I think it's, it still follows now in the PLL. Like, what's the story about what you would go through on a week in, week basis to play every weekend in the MLL that you tell people about like what that grind was like? Well, you know, I, I it, it all depends on how you look at it, right? When you when I first came out, it was just cool to be flying out every weekend and like being able to play a game at the highest level among the best players, and um, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Uh, then it got to a point where it became a little more about you, you just kind of start to realize, all right, there's some things here that as a professional, if I'm going to keep doing this, I wish this was better. I wish that was better. Um, excuse me, and you can get really bogged down in that and, and it can make it less enjoyable. Uh, and, and so it's a, it becomes at some point a matter of uh, just keeping it in perspective. It's like, hey, look, man, I, it's the summertime. I'm, I get to fly out and go play lacrosse and get paid for it, uh, you know, two, three days out of every weekend. And that's pretty cool. Uh, and then, you know, there's also a point or at least for me, these were kind of the different phases. There became a point where it was less about, okay, there's business, this and that. It's like, I'm going to win. Yeah. Like I'm looking back. I didn't win a state championship in high school. I didn't win a, you know, Ivy title. I didn't go to the NCAA tournament. Like a lot of these guys have had those experiences. Now I want to win. Like, I feel like this is my time to win on whatever team I'm on. So there was that phase of it. Um, and then toward the end, it was like, Hey, I just want to finish this thing on a high note, you know? And, and because for me, I, I, I stepped off and did the LXM tour for a year, which was cool. I came back, I did uh, 12 and 13 in Ohio, but I got injured both years. Um, so I only played a half a season each one of those years. 
almost. Um, I think that's accurate. If I have the years correct, yeah. but it might be, might be a little off. And then in 14, I was undecided on whether I was going to play. And I was told, Hey, this is an opportunity to come play down here in Florida. We like you. Um, we think you can add benefit. And I got turned into a D midi, which you've never seen any highlights of me playing defensive midfield or any kind <laughs> of defense. And so, you know, I played for two games and I got cut and nobody heard from me for two years, like the rest of that year, then 15, then 16. So that 17 year was really only about going out. I, I of course I wanted to win, but it was about finishing my career on a high note that I, you know, a note that I was happy with. Um, and, and to some degree it was about proving that I could still play the game. So I went through a lot of different phases, you know, throughout my career. You know, it's so funny. I listen to you go through that because like on a, obviously a different scale, but you hear NBA players or NFL players talk about like the different stages and it's the same thing. It's like first you're competing, then certain things get in the way and you get bogged down. Then you want to win. And then you're like, I just want to do this as long as I physically can. And it, it like, yeah. doesn't matter what stage of athletics you're at, but that's like kind of the, the realm. Well, and not not only do it as long as I can, but also um, go out when you before you can't. Yeah. You know, like one of the things about 2017, like I said, I finished on a note that I was happy with and I knew what it was going to take on a on a day in and day out basis to compete at that level. Um, and I knew I didn't really want to go through that throughout the year. Um, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the energy. Um, and so kind of getting back to your your first question, it was like, yeah, it, it was fun, but it did eventually. Uh, it becomes a grind, right? Flying out every weekend. When you first start playing, you know, you're good to go on Monday. <laughs> by the end of it, it's like you're you're hopefully good to go by Thursday, and then you get to fly out on Friday. Um and some days you're you're not good on Friday, so um, yeah, that that being healthy part and just being able to finish the right way is is important at the end. Well, luckily for you now, you got a bunch of eighteen to twenty two year old kids that are good to go probably Sunday after a Saturday game. So uh, you you got you got youth on your side now at Hampton. We appreciate the time, Chaz. As always, good luck as you get ready for this season. We'll uh, we'll hopefully catch up here sometime soon. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time and uh, thanks for the support for everybody out there that has supported and continues to support Hampton University and Hampton University lacrosse. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to seeing everybody out there this year. Of course, man. Thanks so much, Chaz. Absolutely. So we are excited to have Hampton as part of the CAA now on lacrosse TV. We'll have a chance to see them a couple of times. Throughout the 2023 season, always uh, fun to catch up with Chaz, who obviously uh, doing great stuff at Hampton, now taking over that program and was uh, quite the player uh, to watch on the field as well. So uh, that gets us into games to watch this weekend. Division One lacrosse kicking off here the beginning of February. Cannot wait. I've got three games that I'm really intrigued about this weekend. So I'm going to run through them real quick here uh, before we say goodbye. Number one. How about Maryland, last year's national champs, coming off an undefeated season, one of the best maybe in the history of the game? They lose a lot, not only talent-wise, they also lose their offensive coordinator. So 
this, their game against Richmond, 1 o'clock on Saturday, a chance to see what this new-look offense under now offensive coordinator Jake Bernhardt looks like. Remember, it's now the Bernhardt brothers, Jake and Jesse, who are taking over as the – who are now the two coordinators. Jesse has been there on the defensive end for a while. Jake now joins his brother as the, the offensive assistant coach for head coach John Tillman. And it, I'm just really intrigued to see what the Terps have. I, I, we're not going to know everything because it's early and this team is obviously going to change throughout the year. I'm really intrigued against a Richmond team that's talented. They lose a bunch from a team that competed in the first round of the NCAA tournament of last year, uh, but they've got Lance Madonna back. Dalton Young is back. Is that going to be enough on the offensive end for Richmond against the known we have for Maryland? That's the defensive end. So this may be a low-scoring game, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Spiders keep it close to kick off the year. So that's an intriguing one to watch, uh, 1 o'clock on Saturday. Another game, 1 o'clock on Saturday, so you're going to have to split-screen this one. Syracuse hosting Vermont. Cuse, not in the preseason poll. A team that I am so intrigued by because of the talent. They brought in this great recruiting class. Joey Spelina's wearing number 22. Owen Hiltz is back after missing last year due to injury. They've got a bunch of key transfers as well. The talent influx is there. Now we get to finally see it all come together. Is it as good as advertised? You know, it's like one of those things. On paper, it looks like this could be great. But until you actually see it all come together, we don't know. So that will be why I'm so excited about seeing this team on the field for the first time because it's our first chance to see, hey, maybe it feels like this could be something special or this is still very much a work in progress. I'm guessing it'll be, probably be somewhere in the middle because uh, like we said with the Maryland offense, we got a bunch of new pieces. It's going to evolve throughout the year, but I'm really, really intrigued by this. I, I'm also intrigued. What do the offensive rotations look like? Who's pairing up with who? Midfield lines, how deep do they go? All that will be answered. Uh, Vermont, a team that is expected to compete in the America East. I don't know if they're as good as they've been here in the last couple of years. They obviously lost Thomas McCovney, uh, who went down to, to Virginia as a grad transfer. So um, we'll keep an eye on Vermont as well. But this one, for me, is about learning what Syracuse may have this year. And finally, let's go out west. Denver hosts Utah. Final season opener for head coach Bill Tierney. That is going to be a storyline we're going to watch throughout the year. And Utah was good last year. They were one game away from their first ever NCAA tournament. And there's plenty of unknowns for the Pioneers. So much like Maryland, there's a there's question marks for Denver. Utah, we know, is good. How good are they? And and can they shock Denver to kick off this year? year? So maybe an upset alert for the Pioneers uh, on Saturday. That's a 2 p.m. Eastern start, a, a noon start out at uh, Peter Barton Stadium in Denver, Colorado. So there you go. Uh, Maryland, Richmond, Syracuse, Vermont, Denver, Utah, my three games that uh, I'm most intrigued by in this opening weekend of the college lacrosse season. It's so good to have college lacrosse back. Our season here on lacrosse TV gets away, gets underway in a couple of weeks, but uh, we'll of course, will be locked into all the games this, this coming weekend. We'll talk about them next week here on the show, but that is all the time we have for you here on lacrosse. Now, thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.